1: is personal development isn't it is a lifelong thing and I am sometimes going to catch myself having negative self-talk and be like wait stop back up I'm going to catch myself saying things that are like well that's just real ridiculous to say that right about me and my work and 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 This work is the same way. This race and equity work is the same. It is going to be a lifelong journey, which means you're going to sometimes take 10 steps forward and take two steps back and have to take a nap because you are tired and this is exhausting. Or you are going to have to take some multivitamins because your, your your body is, is stressed out and communicating crazy things. You're gonna have to go to a therapist. Like it's, it is a constant thing, but if we want to change systems and make systems equitable, this is the work.
0: Hey there, ask kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad you are here and I so hope that you have been taking care of yourself and making yourself a priority. I say that all the time, right? But I think that 2020 now more than ever is showing us how important it is for our own self-care. All right. I have a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people for you today. For those of you that might be new to the show, this is a series that I run with actual, you know, personal friends of mine that are many times we're not experts on this particular topic, we are unqualified. However, this one's a little bit different because my guest today, Jessica Sharp, She is a qualified person when it comes to this particular topic. I am unqualified, but I wanted to call it that because it is more of a conversation than it is an interview. Typically, well, I guess sometimes I don't read the bios of my unqualified slash qualified guests, but today I am going to do that for you. All right. For those of you that don't know Jessica. Jessica Sharp has a Master's of Public Affairs from the University of Missouri and is currently a student at William James College where she is obtaining a doctorate in leadership psychology. Her education at William James College focuses on organizational development, psychology, and leadership. She regularly speaks about various topics related to the brain and leadership. Jessica's work includes work in the nonprofit sector and work in diversity and inclusion. Jessica is committed to improving her community and does this through her involvement in a variety of organizations, including the Junior League of Greenville, South Carolina, the United Way of Greenville, and the Greenville Theater. She is a graduate of leadership Greenville and is a diversity fellow with the Riley Institute and has been recognized for her work to better the Greenville community. I first met Jessica years ago when she came on as a client of mine, and we've worked together for a long time. I adore this woman so much that she, every once in a while, is a uh, retreat helper of mine. She has even uh, babysat my kids. (laughs) I trust this woman and she's just a joy and a pleasure to have around. I wanted to have her on be for a few reasons because she is someone who is I consider a friend as well as someone who's an expert in diversity and inclusion. And she is running a group program that I am happily and joyously an affiliate for. I believe in her work so much much. She is running a group starting uh, in the middle of August. So registration for this particular group closes on August 7th for non black women who want to learn more about diversity and inclusion and their um, unconscious biases and you can read more about the group program that she's offering over at yourkickasslife.com slash Jessica. At the very end of this podcast episode, she's going to tell you a little bit more about, about it, you know, more about who it's for and what you will be doing, what you're going to walk away with from this particular program. So without further ado, y'all, here is my conversation
1: with Jessica. Jessica Sharp, you're on the show. I know. And it's crazy. I almost like never thought this could happen because I just listened to it and think it's amazing. But now I'm on it. I'm delighted. Yeah, I am delighted
0: having known you for so many years. It's been, what, maybe like four or five? Since
1: 2013, 2014. Wow. Is it? Gosh. I've you were just long? a babe. Oh, heaven. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's been a really long time. It feels like for a, a lifetime. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does because you've
0: been through so much work, right. you know, Doing your own personal development journey and everything, and and I wanted to have you on, you know, as I mentioned in the in the intro, and in a conversation about shit that matters with one qualified person and one unqualified person, me being the unqualified. <laughs> to talk about this and have this conversation. And um, I'm I think the first question I have for you is, how are you doing in this moment? You know, we're recording this mid June, 2020. And things have, uh, I don't know, I don't know how much things have changed, but the noise on the internet and mm-hmm. in the news and social media has changed a lot. I know that you're having a lot of people reach out to you just because of what you do as a profession. So
1: how are you? Yeah. So thank you for that question. I'm better than I think, um, I think I would have thought, um, The murder of George Floyd was obviously like a big thing for a lot of people because they saw something that they just almost didn't think could happen, right? But for me, I mean, I have. I mean, non black people thought thought that could, right? Non black people specifically. But for me, and quite frankly, for a lot of other black people, but specifically thinking about me, like, I spent a lot of my brain power and time thinking about inequities and injustices in systems and and thinking about you know how black people are having different experiences in systems Um, and so for me it was I mean it was sad because another black person was murdered at the hands of you know in this instance someone who you know uh, is in a profession to protect and to serve but there wasn't Mm -hmm a heaviness that I think that some of my white friends are feeling. I have not watched the video. I won't watch it. Um, the last one I watched um, was Philando Castile being murdered. It yeah. the Those videos like induced trauma in me and I'm just not interested in that. And I just, I don't want to watch them. But yeah, I mean, if anything, I am, I am cautiously optimistic because I feel like, there is this momentum and energy that i hope continues but i think people are finally realizing how in, like race is embedded in every system and in so many interactions and are finally saying oh my goodness we have to do something about this so i'm if nothing else cautiously optimistic
0: yeah i've heard you know as i've been watching people post on social media you know black people specifically it seems like there's a mix of some people are like you, uh, cautiously optimistic. And then there's some people who are like, uh, it seems like they're angry that it took this long. Yep, yep.
1: And that's understandable. Yeah, so I have some friends, cause I have both seen that on social media, but I also have some friends I've had conversations with who are having that experience. That they are frustrated, angry, all of those kinds of range of emotions. Cynical. Right, because mm-hmm. they're like, well, wait a minute, this has been happening for years and years and years, you know, hundreds of years. It really took you this long to see it. And, you know, there's on Amazon and Netflix, there's, you know, the Black Lives Matter collection, if you will. And mm-hmm. I had a friend who was like, you need to watch a movie to understand our lived experience. And so there is this like level of of just frustration <clears throat> with like, really, it took you this long? And, and this is how you have to learn about our experiences?
0: Yes, it's, it, you know, every time I get sort of confused by are not confused but i think it kind of takes me by surprise that black people are reacting a certain way i immediately try to to put myself in the shoes of being a woman who's who's you know sexism has been a part of my life for at least all of my adult life mm-hmm. and i try to put myself in the shoes of because I've been in the position of being angry at men mm-hmm. for not getting it. Like, what yeah. do you mean yeah. you don't understand that sexism exists? Right. Like, What do you mean you're just now, like when Me Too happened, and I'm seeing, you know, not very many, but some men post, like, I never knew that. And I'm like, what the actual fuck? Right. How, How didn't, didn't know? you know? How didn't you know? How it Because you didn't have to. Because exactly. you didn't have to. Right. So I flip that to okay, this, is,
1: this must be similar to how
0: Black people feel. Like, how could you not have known?
1: Right. How could you not have paid any attention? And I was right. in a meeting yesterday with someone who said, you know, she had a lot of guilt um, mm-hmm. and, and potentially shame, which is something I want to talk more about with you. But, you know, that she said, you know, I know that all of my Black friends have been experiencing these things for years and years and I didn't know, I didn't believe them. I didn't realize when they told me their experiences how deep they were. And so she has a lot of guilt associated with essentially the fact that she wasn't paying attention for such a long time.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's normal and it's it's interesting to, you know, because I started I kind of started my own awakening around 2016. And and I think what I know now about that, like white mm-hmm. people feeling guilt and shame of course, you're going to feel what you feel. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, um, assume that
1: black people will give a shit about that. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. So
0: do that in private or with your white friends.
1: Like, do not do that in public. Like, do not like, no. and there's a lot of, I think that, that some white people want to listen and hear black voices, hear black stories. And I appreciate that. But what I, my recommendation is either talk to someone like, you know, who is an actual race educator, someone like me who is a diversity inclusion equity specialist, which are two different things. Or, Mm -hmm. I mean, even though my one friend hates it, like there are, you know, there are books by black authors. There are stories, there are documentaries, there are movies, but like, please don't call up a black friend and ask them to do the emotional labor of trying to educate you. Like there are at this point, I mean, so, so, so many resources for people to really understand both from a historical, the data perspective, but also just the stories and lived experience of black people that, you know, you may have a black friend who wants to have that conversation with you and he's like, Hey, I want to tell you about this, but like, please don't call them and ask them because like, there's a lot of emotional labor for anyone that has to bring up any sort of potential like negative experience or grief. And when it is tied to this fundamental piece of who you are, it can mm-hmm. be really stressful and sad and angry and can literally inj- induce some sort of trauma response so yeah. don't call your black friends and say tell me all of the things don't do that but i think you know so i if if anyone is an expert on anything on this call you know i'm the like diversity equity inclusion specialist and i work with organizations and people but you are the personal development guru all of those things so i think i have questions for you about some of those like some of the personal development work, I think that is mm-hmm. associated with this, but I would, yeah, fire away. I, so you and I have had a lot of conversations about, you know, how we got to this moment having this conversation, right? Like we've had a lot of conversations that got us to this point, but I want, I'd love for your listeners and, and the larger kick-ass life community to understand mm-hmm. how we got, how did we get to this moment where you and I are having this conversation on your podcast and, and yeah, tell I mean, you us and me about personally. your journey?
0: Yeah. So, and some people might be newer to the show, so they they might not have listened to or, or remember when I started talking about this in 2017. And, well, but even backing up from there, so I grew up. Just quick backstory: I grew up in a mostly white community. Um, you know, for people that don't know me really well, I'm a white, cisgender, straight, able-bodied, privileged white woman, and. um I did grow up with with some Hispanic heritage. My mom's first language is Spanish and but that's a, another story. I ta- I had an episode. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes about whitewashing and um with my friend Elizabeth Dialto where we we discussed that and um anyway, so I I mean I remember the first time I even listened to the the experience of a black person. I was in high school, and there was a girl that I grew up with since elementary school, and she was mixed race. her Her mother was the blackest person I had ever seen in my life. She was from Africa. Yeah. She was born there. My friend will call her we'll call her Rhonda. She was um, her dad was white, and they lived in our neighborhood. She had a twin brother, and she we were cheerleaders together in high school. And it was a mostly white team. We had like, I think one Filipino and a couple of Hispanic girls and, and my friend Rhonda. And I think we were seniors. So we had been friends for a long time at that point. And we were sitting around. It was more than just here and I. And she we were having this conversation where she was mentioning, so that the black kids at my school, like we didn't really, there wasn't a whole lot of friend mixing. Mm-hmm. It was like the black kids all sat together. The right,
1: right, right. Which is what <laughs> happens.
0: Right, right, right. And she said, she said to us, she says, I'd never really felt like I fit in with the black kids. And I've never really felt like I fit in with all of you. And I was floored mm-hmm. that she wouldn't have felt like she fit in with us. And then also she had mentioned that the the black kids at school had given her shit for hanging out with us and told her she talked white mm-hmm. and, and all of these things. And I was mad at them for her. And yeah. I'm like, don't you be racist to my friend. <laughs> right. <So> right. There's <laughs> no. Which we know that doesn't happen. Well,
1: but you were but seventeen, I was, um, sixteen. I mean, you know, trying to 16, 17.
0: No, right, and and it was the, but it was the first time I had. I think I had always assumed up until then that she had a, the same experience that I did mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. she hung out with us. Maybe I thought that because she was light skinned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Um, I never even gave it a second thought that she might have a different experience than her white friends. Yeah. 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 So that was kind of the first little like tap on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a thing. Yeah. It's yeah. a thing bigger than you ever, you know, would think of. And then, so fast forward, the election happened. I did not turn out in my favor as I had wanted it to. Mm-hmm, and then the women's march happened, and there was a picture. I didn't see this particular sign, but I saw a picture of it and the the sign said, "Are all you nice white ladies going to be at the Black Lives Matter march?" Mmm. Yeah. And my first reaction. was- well, How did you feel? I was like, no. Hey. You know, like, right, I, <laughs> hey, right,
1: right, right. You had a you had a threat response there. Yeah.
0: But I was like, "Why would I need to?"
1: You know, yeah, I'm here. I like, You're here. Why do we need to be somewhere else?
0: Like, I'm fighting for the cause. Like, what do you? What do you mean? But I think that it was that moment, and having done the work that I have done, mm-hmm. I understand that when I have a defensive reaction like that, something's happening. I don't know what it is, but I need to unpack it and just okay, like, why would I react? This mm-hmm. way? Um, why would I feel threatened and defensive and feeling like I need to? prove myself in this moment. So that's really when I kind of started to look into it. And there was a, there's a a white colleague of mine, Rachel Maddox. She's been on my show before and she was speaking out on social media about like spiritual white wellness slash personal development. I don't can categorize myself in the spiritual realm as a lot lot of (laughs) women who do what I do, but us you know what are what are we doing in terms of this and and none of us are free until all of us are free that whole message mm-hmm. and uh it it just pushed me to look at it mm-hmm. like this isn't all about me and then the me too movement happened listening to the experiences of all women of native american women mm-hmm. Black women, Hispanic, just Mm -hmm. uh, uh, (laughs) because I know this my story, I know my 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 white friend's story, and Mm -hmm. it's all fairly similar. Mm -hmm. I think realizing that women of color have similar experiences within sexism, but it looks different because of racism.
1: Oh, can you, uh, I'm going to like do, I'm sorry. I'm going to do what Brene does on her podcast and I apologize. Can you repeat <laughs> what you just said? Cause that was real good shit. Can you just say that again?
0: I don't exactly remember what it I was, know. but if it was, you, yeah, you, you know, I, get it. I, I realized that we all had the same experiences pushing up against sexism, but that they had a, they had a, a different experience because they were also pushing up against racism. Yes. Yeah. All of that. Okay. Sorry. And that's you know. what I learned was <laughs> intersectional. You know, and also if they were uh, bisexual or lesbian or queer or trans women, mm-hmm. they also had a different experience. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a hammer over the head, just wow. like, and it's, you know, and then I have my white feelings over here as I'm telling you that, like embarrassed and ashamed, like how could you not have known that? But you don't, you yeah. don't know until you know.
1: Precisely. Right.
0: And so I joined um, a class called Foundations of Social Justice with Dr. T. Williams. He's been on the show before, and he's actually still teaching that program. So I'll drop that link in the show notes. It's excellent. I've sent so many people to work with him. And it was from an academia standpoint, which I think is a little bit easier for white people to swallow Like when we intellectualize it, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) when we intellectualize it. And I'm not saying that's right, but I'm I, I'm I'm saying that it's it's a good entry point, I think, mm-hmm. because there are so many feelings involved, and when we when we really step into it, like when it, anti-racism work and our own unraveling our own racism, the somatic experience that happens is exactly like shame work it's the same thing because we're experiencing shame. We're experiencing trauma. We are touching into the lived experiences of people of color, of black women, that of their trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's something that you can go into thinking you're going to wrap it up in a week.
1: Oh, God, I, hope that. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think it's something that you can walk into thinking that you're not going to need to take breaks and that you can stay intellectualizing it. Brene said something really interesting. This was probably around, it was after the election, maybe 2016, 2017. She did a Facebook Live. Do you remember that? I don't remember that,
1: no, but I remember I to like, find her it. thoughts and, and words after the election.
0: She was talking about how when we start to, I don't even know if people were calling it anti-racism work, but when we start to do this work, We have to start to reckon with the fact that we have, we white people Mm -hmm. have been okay with dehumanizing an entire race. We have to reckon with the fact that we have tokenized our black friends and colleagues and neighbors. Mm -hmm. We have to reckon with the fact that we, by not talking to our children about race, we are actually talking to our children about race. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, if anyone's read Rising Strong that she wrote, you know, first comes the reckoning, and then comes the rumble, and the rumble is all the feelings involved.
1: Oh, the rumble part, people
0: you. don't want to look at that. People don't want to look at it like this white shame, and you know, and so then they pull out bullshit like, "Well, slavery happened so long ago. My my ancestors weren't slave owners. Why does it matter? Why don't they right. just move on?" and and pushing it out into like a black people's problem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we have to reckon with the fact that this land was stolen to begin american with american people built on the backs of people who were stolen from their land and that's when we start talking about you know the dehumanization of an entirely gigantic group of people mm-hmm. who are still oppressed even now mm-hmm. it just looks different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's big it's, it's so
1: much true. bigger than i ever imagined and i think it's 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 huge both in terms of just like the systems right and then therefore it is huge internally and I was talking to my dad actually just yesterday he called me and said you know why do some white people get so defensive and so angry about Black Lives Matter and so much so that you know depending on you know when you're listening to this but recently from right now you know a, a white woman you know all but accosted a man who wanted to write black lives matter on his own property. And, you know, and I basically was saying that there are buckets of people, like there are people who are actual racist, right. But there are people who, you know, they don't have a lot of interactions with, with black people. And so it is easy exactly what you said to separate and say, that isn't real I don't know what you're talking about. why do you keep talking about race? It is not a big deal. we are a post racial society and they're able to completely separate themselves from that and and so they get frustrated because they're they don't understand the gravity of this issue and then there are people and and I know some of these people specifically in this third bucket who are now realizing exactly what you just said they are realizing that unintentionally they were a part they they benefited from a system that dehumanize people that specifically held people back. They were, you know, a part of systems that were either literally created to be racist or Mm -hmm. are inherently racist because of policies and practices and procedures. And so there is, I think that that is, that's really where so much where the shame comes from because it's like, how did I not know, but I have benefited from this system that has put other people down and people that I may know and love and and Brian Stevenson. Oh, I am obsessed with. He is, for those of you who don't know him, you should look him up. He wrote Just Mercy and there's a movie now oh, about that's him. his, okay. that's him. He is the mm-hmm. founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a nonprofit in Alabama that works at this point across the country around issues, um, specifically within the criminal justice system. They're working to make changes in that system. But because the criminal justice system it, like literally is inherently racist. Like the mm-hmm. the new Jim Crow is a book that talks about that. The 13th documentary on Netflix talks about that. He also has to reckon with race in his work, but he talks about this idea of proximity and, and Brene talks about it a little bit too in braving the wilderness, which I swear she didn't write that as a diversity book, but that's the way it feels to me. But he <laughs> talks about proximity and that it's hate to hard. Pe- it's hate to, it's hard to hate people up close. Right. And when you are, you know, you got these relationships, because one of the things I told my dad is that, you know, I think that there is unfortunately a lot of baggage around Black Lives Matter as a movement, and it's completely unearned. It is completely and utterly unearned. You know, it is. What do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is that I think that there are white people who, um, as a part of their shame response, have have made up a story about the black lives matter movement and they have made up a story and said, they're just here to protest. They're just here to, you know, to do bad things. They don't actually care about black people. That's not what the movement is about. But I think as a shame response, there is this story that has been made up about the black lives matter movement. And, and it's in the media that they consume as well, if they're well, and, watching and Fox News. You know, what's interesting is the, it's both the media that they consume and, and the, the, the larger narrative that I know some people have about the media, that they're like, mm-hmm. well, the media just shows what they want to show, you know, which is fascinating because they are, you know, most of, most people that I know that say that t- sort of thing are consuming the media that they want to consume and mm-hmm. they're not consuming a, a, a holistic, they're not trying to get a holistic picture. Um, but gotcha, it, Okay. You know, I I feel like there are a lot of white people who, you know, they don't know a lot of black people or they know the token black person. So they know one or two or, you know, they know someone like me and like your friend who we're calling Rhonda. And my lived experience is such where because there are because in our country, there there tends to, particularly in the South, there tends to be an overrepresentation of black people in poverty and less as you go up the income ladder because my parents were at a certain income, I spent more time around white people and, and and that's a a separate systemic issue, right? Like I was in AP classes and there are fewer black and and people of color in those classes, right? Like, so all of these experiences I had were, were more white, which is a separate issue. So for me, you know, my lived experience is such where, you know, I, I was around a lot of white people. I had the very like, Oh, you sound like a white person. I had that very similar experience as Rhonda, like, you know, i felt for the most part actually like I fit in with white people, but I didn't fit felt like I fit in with black people except for my family who just, you know, accepted all of who I was. And I had an interesting journey with race because because my dad moved out of poverty. He had the like very traditional American dream story, right? And because I was around a lot of white people, I didn't understand how pervasive race was until I started teaching. And so I I had a similar experience, honestly, as a lot of probably some white people, but my experience was different because I'm a black person. And because like, I saw all of it from a very different perspective. Um, and, and I saw, I, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Every, every system, oh no, this is a problem. We need to immediately fix it. And I, I never had a, a, a um, I never had a feeling of shame because I didn't have any sort of like unearned privilege associated with those systems because I'm black. And mm-hmm. so like, yeah, my parents have money, but I'm still a black person. And so I think that that, you know, doing as as people dig into this work and, and one of the things I'm going to ask you later is about what does it mean and, and, you know, about the process of really digging into this this work around race and equity that I think that for a lot of people, they have to do some of that personal development work too. And they have to do exactly what you said is, is when they're defensive and angry, kind of stop themselves and say, well, wait, wait, what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? How would it feel to be this other person you know, and engage in, tr- in empathy? I think that when, if people can do all of that personal work, then we will be able to really effectively move to the next side of all of this and we will be able to create equitable systems.
0: Yes, to all of that. And I think for some, you know we could go in seventeen different directions right now, but I,
1: I think, oh, no, we can
0: talk forever. <laughs> one of the important things that you were mentioning is how do you actually a couple of really important things about doing your own personal development work, and what does that actually look like you know to to start to help to dismantle these things i, I and I remember what I, I one of the things I just wanted to to point out, and you were talking about these different buckets of people who are denying racism, who you can't change their mind. Maybe you might be able to change their mind, et cetera, et cetera. It goes back to what I was saying. I think that the people who are in true denial of it, A, they've benefited so much from the systems. Mm-hmm. They There's a part of them that fears if they admit it and then start to work on it, they're going to lose some of that privilege when that's like not the point. Like The whole point is to have it just yes. be <laughs> equitable.
1: Right. Right. I'm shaking And, my head. and it's yeah. not that
0: white privilege is... Um, I was gonna say, it's not that it's bad. It's bad that it's only benefiting white people the most. Right. Like, the whole point is to have everyone have these privileges because everyone right. deserves them. You just, right. as you're a human being. Right. right. And I, I think people are afraid of, um, you know, if they have children, they're worried, like, oh my gosh, are my children going to not have the privileges that they, that they mm-hmm. do right now? And it's like, mm-hmm. if you actually think that, then you're admitting that you know that there's no equity. Exactly. Exactly. You're worried about that. Exactly it's just so embedded. You know, I had McKenna held on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was talking about, you know, when you're born with white skin, you inherit whiteness. Like you just, you inherit racism. Mm -hmm. It's, it's part of our DNA as a country Mm -hmm. and it becomes part of our DNA when we are born here. Mm -hmm. I think it's similar in other countries, but um, one of the things that, you know, I, I I follow a lot of race educators and and just black women in general on Instagram, especially. Mm -hmm. And, Sonia Renee Taylor is one of my favorite. She does these videos and she calls them, Hey y'all videos. Ooh. And oh, okay. she's so, she was on the show too. And she has a company that's called the body is not an apology. It's a separate Instagram account. And one of the things that she posted recently is a meme. And she said, if white women tried as hard to eliminate white supremacy as they try to lose weight, white supremacy would be ended.
1: Oh queen. Okay. All right. <laughs> Mm. Well, and I've seen these funny memes of like, like, you know, this idea of Karen, like, Karen, if you, you know, if you cared, you would, I mean, we, this would be done. I mean, the systems would be changed in a second if if there was this. And part of the problem too, is that the feminist movement has inherently been about white women. It was never intersectional. It was never about women of color, you know? And so there is this, you know, it, So I might say something that may sound problematic to some people, and I'm just okay with that. Um, So in that same conversation with my dad, we talked about, we talked about white women. And, And I said that like, white women actually really, really, really should get this, right? Because white women have you know for years dealt with sexism in one way or another, right sometimes mm-hmm. it's in the context of employment, sometimes you know it's just in their personal lives, but they have dealt with with sexism now I, I want to be clear it's not the same right there is not a there is not a a oftentimes you know it's just it's it's different right, and I think that it's different because because white men still have so much power. And white men, every white man knows a woman, you know? And so I think that that they were okay with, like, white men were not um, as as vocally destructive, I think, during the feminist movement. Now, they didn't want it to happen. Like, let's be very, very clear. Like, they mm-hmm. didn't want it to happen. They were probably very vocally problematic. But, you know, they weren't, to my knowledge, and, and a historian can tell me I'm wrong, but they weren't, to my knowledge, killing women in the streets. You know,
0: I think and and again I'm not an expert on this either but from what I understand it was more of a silent soul killing.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Slow. It was steady. just this this internal cloaked in christianity really problematic you know and and really again shame inducing for the woman right mm-hmm. but i think that there's there is a difference because what we're seeing now is that and like there's this and, and this is you know again right now it's the mojian there have been something like four black men who have allegedly died by suicide that have been found hanged outside in trees on trees i don't know a black man that's going commit suicide in that way I just or who's going to die in public I, that, not in public and that's not that's that was my first point. reaction when I read the first one right um so I just said that to say that like it's a different experience but white women have experienced sexism so in theory in my mind I'm like y'all should be on the squad you should be on the team you should get this right you should be like yes like mm-hmm. fuck this like we need yeah. to be we need to have equitable systems but I think that that if, if the Trump election taught us nothing, white women are the problem. And now universally, not every white woman, white women are not a monolith. No one group is, but like, don't at Jessica, <laughs> please don't, because y'all aren't the same. I am friends with, with white women who, who get this work in a really, really real way. Right. So white women are not a monolith. Don't call, don't call me about it. Don't tweet me. But like white women are often the issue. I mean, if nothing else, the whole data showed us that, right? And it seems like to me, like white women and women inherently are more empathetic. Like we, we, we've got these, what I'm going to call superpowers. And because white women have experienced sexism, in theory, white women should get it and should Mm -hmm. say, wait a minute, I can understand very practically what that feels like. I'm going to be the first person to, you know, try to make these systems more equitable. You'd think. You'd think.
0: songfinch.com slash noise. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash noise. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use EarnIn for anything you need to therapy visits, rent, or even extra self help books. Make EarnIn a part of your financial routine and join EarnIn's over 3.5 million customers who say things like When I think about EarnIn, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. I'm going to I'm going to read I'm going to read this caption. Um Monique Melton is someone else that I follow on Instagram and she posted toxic white femininity is violent, which is another one of those memes that stops me and I'm like, "What?" Right. Now 2020, I I don't have that reaction, but 2016 me yeah, would have yeah. been like,
1: yeah, and it's you know, okay, emotions so, emotions are data. So it's like, it, it, right. you know, what is this telling me why am I feeling this way?
0: Here's what she says, and then I want to comment on it. She says, white women want what white men have and will use their racial dominance and power over black women to get it. The power dynamic of white women and black women has origins in 1619, when the only rights white women had were to buy and own black people. Mm-hmm. And this explains why white women feel they have the right to use and exploit our blackness for their benefit, use and entertainment of whiteness. But the power dynamic also comes with a long legacy of violence and murder because the same toxic white femininity that the white women cry out and complain is oppressing them because of patriarchy, they, we- they weaponize against black folks. And she goes on a little, she goes on longer and I'll, I'll post that particular yeah. link in the show notes. Holy and I, I, I've done some research on that and there's a term called the patriarchal bargain that mm-hmm. was coined by i think a german woman in like the 70s or 80s or something like that and it's basically s- talks about how white women see that we can get some semblance of power the closer proximity we have to white men mm. so therefore we um you know this probably goes back to sewing the costumes for the kkk Being on board, you know, Phyllis Schlafly and that whole movement, if anybody watched Mrs. America, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that whole thing, that is proximity to whiteness, white men particularly, Mm -hmm. in order to gain some semblance of power and control. Because if we we turn towards black women Mm -hmm. in the name of dismantling sexism and, you know, trying to dismantle patriarchy, we are essentially turning our backs on white men. So we make this bargain. Right, right. And once I read that, I was like, oh, shit.
1: I mean, I just feel like my mind is being blown right now because this is not a converse This specifically is not a conversation I've had in regard to race. And it is, I mean... This is where the rubber meets the road, right? Like this is where the this is where the the tough, tough work has to happen because you're right. you know, like white women could I mean they could shut this shit down. they could, fix. I mean, you want something done. you ask especially a white mom I mean, <laughs> to get in her right. minivan. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's like, and, and, you know, and, and I will say, you know, there is nothing like a black woman to make some shit happen, but we can't We do this. We can't fix the system. Not this problem. No, not this. We can fix, we can do a lot of stuff, but we can't fix this, but you know, get that white mama in a minivan and she will go up and, you know, I mean, it's, it. I mean, this just is, this is so powerful because you're right. It's like, if I, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking about, you know, Phyllis Schlafly and that and Mrs. America and this idea that, you know, she, she had black women working for it. Right. And so it's this idea that mm-hmm. if I shift and focus on you black woman and my employee and how do I empower you, I am separating myself from power. And you're right. It's like, I need some semblance of power and control. So you know what? I'm going to go where the power and control is as opposed the to path of least resistance and saying, well, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like, and it's also, I mean, it's like, If I've got enough, if I feel like, you know, I have no power, but I can put, I can get myself over and have power over this person that works for me, right? That, you Mm -hmm. know, this, you know, nanny or whatever, you know, we call them. I mean, it's just, that is, God, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? And for
0: those that don't know, Phyllis Schlafly was a conservative activist in the 19th, I think it, her activism started, I believe in the 60s, but the Mm -hmm. show on Hulu, Mrs. America, features her and Gloria Steinem and all kinds of different feminists and and non-feminist women from that movement. And she's one of the main characters. Interesting story.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. And, um, you know, learning more about her and Hulu is just, I mean, it's very quality TV. So it's, it's at that I hope
0: they do. I hope they do another ser- series that features black feminists from that time, because it's only a moment. It, there was that one particular episode and I forget the name of the, the character who was the black woman that worked with Gloria Steinem during that time. Mm-hmm. And she mentions tokenism. Do you remember that
1: part? So I'm, I'm only on episode two or three. Okay. I know it's that coming. Shirley. I know that Shirley Chisholm is is featured a good bit on that, and I mean, I think you can do a whole, you know, you can do everything about Shirley Chisholm.
0: No, it wasn't, sure. it wasn't. Yeah, Shirley. It was Shirley was her. the one who ran for president, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. No, it's it's this is a different character, and, and she's part of the group, the first I think movement that Gloria Steinem and and her colleagues had put together. But this uh, this particular black woman mentions tokenism, and and then Gloria turns to her and she says, "You don't think that's happening here, do you?" And there's a moment where the black woman, you can tell she wants to say yes, yeah sure. but she's the only black woman there. Yeah. And Gloria Sinem the nice white lady. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because, you know, and I've learned a lot really more recently about how many black people feel the need to take care of white people's feelings. And you can see that happening there.
1: I can tell you a whole example. <laughs> for those oh, of you that okay. can't see, like Jessica just rolled her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a whole back. example of literally two weeks ago where I was like, now I just made this woman upset, and I got to deal with that shit. Like, I mean, literally, and and even me, who knows all of this stuff, and I was like, damn it! Now she's upset. Okay, fine. So that at work, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was at work. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, and I was like, oh crap! Now I and she wasn't upset, to my knowledge, but it was this okay. feeling of like, oh crap! Like now I have to manage this woman's feelings. And even when we think about the feminist movement, like Shirley Chisholm was the first black black woman to run for president, right? And, mm-hmm. and she was standing up there right next to, to, you know, to Gloria Steinem. But like Gloria is a, is a, is a household name. Everybody knows Gloria. Everybody knows know Shirley, mm-hmm. you know, like black people know Shirley Chisholm. But like everybody that know Shirley Chisholm, but like, I mean, she was, she was a politician. She, I mean, she was, she was fighting for us from a legislative perspective, right? Like, and, and everybody has a role. So, you know, the activism role is oftentimes equally, if not more important than the legislative role, depending on the time and the context. But like, I mean, like she ran for president. I mean, she had power, even though she was, you know, a black woman in a world made for white people, like. I, but not everybody knows her name and it, and it's, it feeds more into this idea that feminist, feminism was for white women and that mm-hmm. this world is created for white people. And I haven't read Austin Channing, Brown, Austin Channing Brown's book, but I mean, the title is, you know, and I'm going to mess it up, but how to be black in a world that wasn't made for us. Like the it literally wasn't created.
0: Yes, us. I'm still here. Dignity, um, dignity in a in a
1: world made for whiteness. Right. It wasn't created. Black, black dignity in a world. Yeah. You know, and so we have to constantly navigate that. And I've seen, you know, several like you know meme essentially on Facebook now that says, "Oh, you're tired of talking about racism? Could you imagine what it's like to actually live it? Right? And that, yeah, you know, there are these, you know, people like with these lived experiences of of having to be nervous about walking around in their own neighborhood because they are a black person or feeling Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you know, I've got to, I am going to wear glasses as a black man because it makes me less intimidating. That like conscious daily decision of how do I show up in this world that will, you know, where people do not feel scared of me, even though they have literally no reason to. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, Of talking about it, you know, people worried about talking it and saying the wrong thing. I've I've learned also a lot from Lisa Renee Hall and I participate in her Patreon, which she does, which I highly recommend. And she does it for, she's coming on the show very soon. It's, um, her specialty is highly sensitive people, Mm -hmm. which I mean, if you're a white person, even if you're not highly sensitive in other areas of your life, talking about race is probably highly sensitive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so Lisa talks about the dichotomy, maybe it's not so much dichotomy, but, but being able to hold both things in your hands. You know, I talk over here a lot about, you know, you can, you can have a lot of feelings going on at the same time and, and and you're going to be just fine as part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. But Lisa Mm -hmm. talks specifically about how, uh, what we're seeing right now, I'll give you an example. What we're seeing right now, especially the first couple weeks of June, is a lot of performance activism.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me post this thing on Instagram, means, but I ain't gonna do nothing about it. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna or I'm gonna donate Black Lives Matter to Black Lives Matter and I'm gonna post about it on social media. I might even show you my receipt but that's all I'm going to do. It's like, well, that's not, that's not good enough. Like a, that's not good enough. That's, and it's also performative. So I've seen it, you know, I learned about that probably back 2016, 2017, Mm -hmm. realized I had done it myself. And, and, and to back up a little bit White people try to do that. There's a word for it. It's called exceptional exceptionalism, which is since we have always known and assumed that we are the dominant race, we always want to be like the good white person and we always want to be also better than the other white people. Mm-hmm. So this is where we go in and like tell people that they're doing race wrong as white people. Right. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right. like let me educate you about this, which might be like what I'm doing right here on this show.
1: Like Well, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Or whatever. They'll be fine. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> There might be a little bit of it, right?
0: you know, and, and it's, and it's an, if it is, it's an effort for me to feel good about myself. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And what Lisa Renee Hall talks about is it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, yes, you can be performative a little bit or even a lot, and you can also do the work at the same time. Yeah. 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 You can also speak up about this on social media or with your family or at work and mess up when you do it yep. and maybe you get called forward, called in or called out uh-huh. and you can also keep going. Right. And and I think that's mm-hmm. where we need to start talking about our own personal development work mm. because if you don't know shame resilience, if you don't know <laughs> how to manage your negative self-talk, you're going to be in for a world of hurt because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this is – you know, my friend, Rebecca Barucki says like, this is probably the hardest work that you will ever do. Dismantling your own racism. Oh, shit. Oh boy. Yeah. I, and I agree with that. Yeah. And I've done a lot of personal development
1: work. Right. Oh my gosh. And it, this is it, shaking me to my core. It's all of the, the PhD level. I mean, it's the, it's, you know, shame, resilience, it's self-talk. It's all of the things that are hard as hell. You know, if nothing, dreams. even to just sometimes acknowledge that it is happening and then to, to therefore work through it. But I think that this idea of, of, I can, I can really, really care about this and be comfortable knowing that sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. I think that is really important because I feel like a lot of people are, are like, oh, I might say the wrong thing. Yeah, you might. I'm. Might. You're going to say the wrong thing. I, exactly. I mean, I might say the wrong thing, you know, in, and Austin Channing Brown has talked about this, like, you know. I may say the wrong thing in the context of a different sort of social justice issue that I, I am not like, like the disability rights advocacy space, like I am not well versed in it at all. I care about, I care about it, but I'm not well versed in it. So you better believe I am likely going to say something wrong, do something wrong. And, and it is, and it is out of good intentions which is a whole separate thing cuz intentions do not match outcome but I can be okay saying I really really care about this and if I mess it up call me in and I will do better next time right because I know I have good intentions but I know that's not enough because my intentions don't match my outcome and I can have great intentions but still say something that's going to to create shame for someone else right so I can say shit I'm sorry I'm go- I'm not going to do that again and I'm going to fix it and fix it moving forward so that my intentions can actually match my outcome.
0: Yeah, and I and I just want to sort of reassure people that just like any other work that it becomes easier over time in a sense that you build up resiliency like you build up a little bit of a callus yeah, if you will. You got a muscle. And y- you you just build up a tolerance to the conversation mm-hmm. just like you would anything else mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know My husband, we used to go when we first started going to like marriage counseling years ago. He would come home and just like collapse in the bed. Exhausted, right? Just emotionally exhausted, Mm -hmm. mentally exhausted. And It used to kind of annoy me, but then I thought about it, and I'm like, (laughs) "Well, of course. Like, I'm used to this. I do it every day, all day. So I just I had to be compassionate about it. And I think it's similar to this kind of thing. You know, people are not used to talking about it. They have no tolerance for it. So they shut down. Their heart rate goes way up. They can't learn from that place. So you you have to be in a space, and I don't think it's a safe place. It's a brave space where you can have these conversations and start to build up your tolerance. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of our conversation about, this is not a place for you to do this and expect black people to hold your hand. Mm -hmm. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, I read some other meme that said, you know, what we need you to do is, you know, all these other action steps, but black people or white people are really good at like, joining book clubs
1: <laughs> there's a, you know what's funny there's a whole article about that and i am in the process of, of of starting with with some other people a 21 day equity challenge and and you know the the other p- kind of person on the team we had that whole conversation where we we're like it's really important to us that the white people who who participate in this do not feel like oh good I, it's a book club i can check the box that like I feel like education in this work is really important, but it is it is education to help provide a foundation for action, and to your point, to help build up that resistance and build up the muscle of of mm-hmm. how to do this work moving forward. But it is not a you know this you know I, if you read Austin Channing Brown's book or if you read White Fragility or if you read How to Be an Anti Racist, it is not a okay yay I'm done I check the box okay I'm I am I am an anti racist and I can do all, you know I'm done. No, I mean, it is, it is work that you will be doing quite frankly forever, but to your point, it gets, it gets easier and it shifts and and the conversations are different and, and and it becomes this thing that is not nearly as hard and stressful and, and just, you know, just challenging, but it's not going to stop, you know? Uh And if it does, it's because our systems are all of a sudden inherently equitable. And I'd be shocked as shit if that happens in our lifetime. In
0: our lifetime, that
1: every yeah, I think system is is perfect and equitable.
0: Yeah, I think we could make some major shifts, mm-hmm, and hopefully, mm-hmm. with this next generation, it'll be different. Sure. But it's it's a lifelong work, and and you're right. And it's it's one thing to read the books, and this is the same thing I say in personal development. I'm always yelling at people, like saying, "Don't just read the book, right? Like, actually answer the questions at the end of the chapter if there are some. Right. Do the exercises that the author tells you to do. Right. Like, you know, it's. I think that. We f- we feel we get that rush of dopamine when we think that we have done like even when you press buy now on Amazon yeah you're like, buying hey. those anti racist books mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no this is right right not what right. it is like if you are you're I don't even think you're really doing this work unless you feel it in your body at least when Hall talks about that too like she was asking people like how are you feeling physically and people were saying you know I'm I have GI problems I have diarrhea and it was like the same thing for me I was feeling it in my solar plexus and the anxiety and like the pit of my stomach and just um, I think it was on Brene Brown's podcast when she had Austin Channing Brown on there and, and Brene, I think it, I can't remember if it was Austin or Brene was talking about that their therapist said that that's the feeling of despair, that feeling in your yes. stomach. And I, and I, I just want to say that white people feel that too. And Dr. T says this thing, which is controversial in, in black spaces that white people have been traumatized too. And I think that it goes back to what that live that I watched with Brene Brown talking about when we really look at this stuff and start to work on it, we have to reckon with the fact that we have dehumanized an entire race of people, which goes back to the shame work that I do in when you when you really start to look at shame and how it runs your life. And I'm talking just about like from a standard personal development standpoint, when you realize that you have been using shame to control and manipulate other people, which we have all done it, <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, in all know, of race different. aside, right? Yeah, race aside, we relationships all, yeah. with our children,
0: yeah, with ourselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when we realize that we have been doing that, that feels terrible. And then, what's even worse is that you start to see when you repeat it because old habits exactly exactly we it that is a somatic full body experience Mm -hmm. and it's trauma it's traumatizing to shame yourself it's traumatizing to be shamed and to shame someone else and I think that's why a lot of people don't want to change because they have to realize that they have been doing that to other people and when you're talking about race and racism you know I I there are some people who are blatantly racist who do it on purpose and are conscious of it. And then there's the people who have been doing it unconsciously Mm -hmm. and that reckoning. It's, you know, I I don't, I don't know if it's trauma and I think it's easy for me as a white person Mm -hmm. to say that it is, but what I experienced personally, physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. spiritually, mentally, all of the ease mm-hmm. was, um, it was necessary. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Yeah, yeah. And also I was all up in my white feelings, especially I want to say one last thing, realizing that I was both the oppressor and the oppressed.
1: Ooh. Yeah. And it, 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 it Which, goes back to that dichotomy of you can be both. Right.
0: And the patriarchal bargain, you know, that I realized that I made. And I remember being in Dr. T's class and there was, we were on Zoom and, but that particular class, so I think it was only me and like one other guy or something. And I was like, and he was like this white straight dude and I didn't want him there. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I was angry with him. I think it was like, also might've been like during like the Kavanaugh stuff. Oh, I was yeah. like, get the mm-hmm. fuck out mm-hmm. of my
1: mm-hmm. face. <laughs> yeah. We're not here for you, sir. Right. <laughs> so I'm like poor guy didn't do anything to me right you're trying to learn and be better do better
2: yeah oh hey everybody it's us Blair and Molly your old pals from toddler purgatory two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck
0: and now we're back
1: So
0: join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
0: But, and I know I said a mouthful, but I I also before, (laughs) because we've been talking for a long time, I also want to point out something that you and I have talked about offline. And I listened to a podcast episode that I told you to go listen yes. to if you wanted to. Myesha T has a podcast called co Inspired Conversation. And this particular episode is called Girl, You Better Apologize. And I'll put that link in the show notes. She is talking specifically about... So this was released, I think, back in May when Rachel Hollis posted Please, that yeah. meme where she was quoting Maya Angelou, but not giving Maya Angelou credit. Anyway, Rachel Hollis aside one of them, there were so many interesting things listening to her and two of her black friends have this conversation and how and she was saying you know in her experience i know that this isn't your experience but she's like i don't trust white women at all i trust white men actually more than i trust white women and it made me really think about that and how thinking about my own experience and like the separation between the, that i've experienced between black women and and white women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um I've never disliked black women as a group of people, but have always felt like a couple of things. I sometimes, not always, but sometimes tried harder to get them to like me because I felt like they didn't like me. Like I, I felt ah, it. Got it. Got it. And I don't do that with white women. Like if I if I come across a white woman who doesn't like me, and I'm like, I don't care, mm. for the most part. Yeah. But if it's a black woman, or even when I was younger, a black girl, I was like. Why don't you like me? Let me try to be nicer to you.
1: Right, 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 right. right.
0: <laughs> be, because I think in for some of us inherently we know that that we are problematic, that there are problems <laughs> right, right. and that um and I think that there's for, for some of us, myself included, we're afraid. Yeah. We're yeah, afraid. Yeah, yeah. That that black women we we know that their anger is righteous. Mm-hmm. And any kind of retaliation we deserve. yep. And we're afraid. And I, and I say that because on the show, I always like to be transparent and kind of say the things that some people might be thinking that they don't want to admit. Exactly. Right. All right. So that's my hope. It makes my stomach hurt just saying all that.
1: No, I was going to say, you know, this conversation is probably hard for you because not, I mean, you and I have these conversations. I know you have them with other people, but, but just like, this conversation where it's, you know, out for all of the world and, and, you know, spending all of this time really thinking and talking about this, even though you have that, you know, that muscle around this work, I think it's so hard for you. So thank you for having it. And it's, you know, I wanted to have this conversation with you because I knew that there are, that there were a lot of white women who are struggling with some of the same things that I think you struggled with several years ago, but who just like, they don't know, what to say, how to say it, who to call, what to do, because like, they're hearing people like me say, well, don't call your black friend. And they're like, and so they don't, they like literally don't know what to do. Right. And they also might be
0: saying, I'm just going to jump in. They also might be seeing white women get called out on social media or even like their Facebook
1: friends, Mm -hmm. like in the
0: comments. And they're like, I'm not going to say anything then if I'm going to get humiliated
1: like that. Exactly. All of those things. And so I felt like, you know, this conversation with you being so open and transparent and honest, I thought could potentially, be a uh, be an opening for white women who are where you were several years ago to be able to say okay here are some very tangible next steps here's how I can be comfortable being uncomfortable here's how I can I can be brave and courageous even though I am terrified of fucking this up of saying the wrong thing of of hurting somebody of feeling my own shame and I think you know my hope is that people at the you know n- from this conversation, they know that there are several things that they can do as very tangible next steps. So, you know, there are, I mean, all the books to read, right? You can't even buy them on Amazon right now because they're behind They're, you know, although you can always- I found do. a black owned bookstore in Chicago that has some, so I'll link to that in the show notes. That's how I got Austin Channing Brown's book. Uh-huh. You can also always do Audible. I'm, um, I am in school, so I never have time to actually read. So I do a lot of things on Audible. Um, you know, so there's that. There are all of the, you know, Amazon, Netflix, you know, that you can, I'm happy to give specific recommendations, but there are plenty of, of things that you can watch, um, to learn. And, and I've already talked about just mercy, but that's a great movie. Um, 13th, the the documentary on Netflix, that they're just a slew of resources. Right. But as an also very tangible next step is you've got to do some personal development work. Right. And I mean, you, Andrea have, I mean, probably 1000 resources, you know, about what that looks like. You know, I, I think that, Rising Strong is a great book to read. I think Braving the Wilderness is a great book to read. I think you know, I, I think, I mean, working with you, I mean, like, changed my whole, like, literally changed my life, put me on a different path, a different trajectory. So you know, I don't know if you're accepting one-on-one clients, but if you, know, <laughs> if, if you are, then people can pay. <laughs> You're welcome to work with you um, because that, I mean, because you're right, it is the, the work that is required to make this like really long-term is, is shame, resiliency, and self-talk work. And you do that better than anybody. And so, I mean, and I'm not like saying this to gas you up, but I am saying this because it's real in my, in my experience, not even just my opinion, my actual experience. Um, but I hope that post this, you know, this podcast, there are different places on this journey. You know, some people are already reading the books, watching the movies, then maybe the next step for you is the personal development work, right? Some people are already doing the personal development work, but now need to add the race work, right? So there's, there are all kinds of different places on this journey. But my hope is that after this conversation and listening to this, people are like, okay, what's the next step? I'm, I am obsessed with Disney and Frozen 2, the sequel. You're such a millennial. I'm (laughs) such a millennial, but I think I'm going to just be obsessed with Disney for the rest of my whole life. But I am such a millennial. And um, there's this great song um, about the next right thing. Like I'm just going to do the next right thing. So whatever the next immediate next right thing for you is to do that. Like you don't have to take yeah. this whole thing off and bite this whole, you know, this whole race cake, just take the next bite. Thank you for that advice. And
0: <laughs> I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the next steps because mm-hmm. I think it can also feel really overwhelming. I know last week and the week before I was like, oh my God, there's things i need to do in my business there's things i need conversations i need to have with my family members there's mm-hmm. conversations i need to have with my kids and give me all the podcasts mm-hmm. it, it just is uh, huge so well and like we only talked about race you know and there's also police brutality and housing problem and um, health care and police. It's and- embedded
1: into every system. I mean, literally, I mean, as someone who does research on this, it isn't in every system. And the other, you know, one of the things that I, that we're talking about now is police brutality as we should be, but we're not, some people are, but we're, we're not necessarily talking about the holistic nature of the criminal justice system. The root of and the problem. Police are one piece in this larger system of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of, of prison and incarceration and and mass incarceration. And, and it's why I, I always, always recommend either the New Jim Crow as a book or 13th as a documentary to watch. And yeah. both are great. They're good complement mm-hmm. one another because policing is a larger part of the system. But I mean, like race is embedded in every system, the the education system, the healthcare system, the criminal justice system. It is, it is embedded into, into organizational structures and cultures. Like it is pervasive and, 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 you know, we don't have time to go into all of the data. I mean, people can, you know, follow me, I guess, or what, you know, go to my website or I don't call me, pay me to do this, but I mean, there is data on every single system. I mean, every single one. And, and there's this concept of economic mobility, which is moving up the income ladder. All of us have an economic mobility story, but it is particularly in the South where you and I both are. It is hard as hell to move out of poverty, but it is really, really hard if you are black and it is, it is even harder if you are a black male. So it's, it's just in every system. And so, and, and, and I had, I was talking to a friend who, um, who works in the nonprofit sector and she's like, I don't know what to do because it's in every system and in everything, and I need to fix everything. And, I, and that's when I was like, "Wait a minute!" That is such a white person thing to like, say, right? All right, but I'm like, "Wait a minute, back <laughs> up!" Like, because sometimes I even feel the way where I'm like, "I got to fix everything." And and even when you were saying like, "Here's all the things: my business, my kids," and I'm like, "Okay, well, you know, it's like, what if we just made a list per every mm-hmm. each one of us individually made a list of what we need to learn and and what we need to do, and just check the mm-hmm. list off?" And so that is a list I'm okay, a box I'm I'm okay checking, right? Yeah, but you know, write it down so that you don't forget and you don't get as overwhelmed necessarily. And then start checking them off and say, okay, I need to talk to my kids. I need to talk to my spouse. I need to talk to my, you know, racist uncle, whoever who says crazy things, right. I need to, you know, Mm -hmm. take it one step at a time because it is overwhelming, but here's my, also my, my hope. And is that, This isn't a, in the moment shift for people. This is a lifetime shift for people. And so it's okay if, if one of those steps takes you three or six months to get to, because my hope is that you're going to be doing this work forever. So if it takes Mm -hmm. you three to six months to talk to your crazy uncle, whoever, then get to it when you get to it, because you're going to be doing this work forever anyway.
0: Yeah. I'm making a spreadsheet, which I I don't do very often. I don't have that many spreadsheets. I love a spreadsheet. (laughs) Because... It's just like racism isn't in every system, it's also in every area of my life. And also as a business owner, you know, people want to see receipts now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if you want to see them, then here it is, you know, going back and and because I think a lot of businesses are are posting on Facebook that they're that they believe in Black Lives Matter, but what are you actually doing? And, you know, within within your company and, and for your customers, for your black community. So I think um, yes, all the things like protesting, signing petitions, donating money, holding your um, wor- your employer accountable. Mm-hmm, 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 Rachel mm-hmm. Cargill is another really great one mm-hmm. to follow. And, and she um, she has something called The Great Unlearn on Instagram. And that's what her Patreon is called. I'm a member of that as well. Mm-hmm. I just looked in there last week and she even has like a copy and paste sample letter yeah, I've seen that, to yeah. give to your employer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, perfect. Mm-hmm. like. Black race educators are making it really easy
1: yeah, for white people to do the work. I mean,
0: really, they are. Yeah. And, I, and her, she's literally like $5 a month, you guys. Oh, heaven. So, you know, she's one of them. But – I and I think – Definitely, reading the books, but also doing the work that's involved in the book, and reading them multiple times. like you can't just read it once. I'm not one who can read a personal development book and consume it and, and have major shifts in my life.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: know I've heard a lot, a lot of people saying, like, I bought this book on Audible, and I ended up buying a print copy too, because I need to highlight and take notes in the margins, et etc. This is undoing a lifetime of everything that you know to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was telling one of my friends, I said, I felt like, I feel like I keep stepping back. Like I'm in New York city and I'm a little, little kid and I keep stepping back and looking up and 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 up yeah. it's bigger and bigger and bigger and it doesn't end. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel like this is. So it's when we feel overwhelmed, many times we shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, all those sort of tangible things are important with the, you know, watching of the documentaries and, and all those things, but it's also that's why I'm, I've mentioned it so many times on here is, is getting onto the Patreon of Lisa Ren- Lisa Renee Hall and, mm-hmm. and Rachel Cargill and actually doing the work that they're taking you through. Mm-hmm. Like black women especially have been the people that I have been turning to and also sitting down and shutting up. Because one more mistake that I made that I want to mention is when when I first had my awakening, I was ready to burn the whole thing down. Like I was ready to like... <laughs> totally change my niche and start talking about nothing but this. Yeah, and yeah. then I was like, what was pointed out to me, like that is white saviorism. Yep.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Which is a whole separate concept for a different time. place. hundred percent and exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. And of course I had good intentions, but you know, like intentions are different than impact and it, you know, and it can be both. It can be, yes, there's a part of me uh, you know, growing up in a racist society that falls into white saviorism and exceptionalism as wanting to be the good white person. I want to look, I want to look good. I want to look like a, like a nice person. Mm-hmm. And also I can do the work at the same time. So it's both. Right. Right. Again, it's back to this dichotomy of, right. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Cause if it was, cause I think that's where white, white women are getting so confused. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh my God, how do I do this? Right. If I'm being told I'm doing it wrong, then forget it that I'm not gonna I'm have out. this conversation. I'm out. Right. right. I'm, I'm that out. over and over again. So that's what I want to emphasize. Like, y'all, it's both. We can be doing it kind of wrong and keep going. Like mm-hmm. we can be in a little bit of white saviorism and, and exceptionalism mm-hmm. and, and ice and performance. Mm-hmm. But just but just keep going and don't be gross about it. Like <laughs> or just or just acknowledge it. Right. Exactly. Acknowledge it and keep going and just keep doing the work keep having these conversations with your white woman friends who get it in, um, in closed spaces Mm -hmm. so that you're don't have them publicly, Mm -hmm. you know, on Facebook. And I think that, but, but again, that's not, that's a good start, but
1: right. And and it's the start of done. again, multiple things. And yeah, I, I just like I, I echo and ditto to literally everything that you said, do all of the tangible things, but you got to do the You got to do the internal work. You have to. One yeah.
0: thing I say, I want to say this one, one, I keep saying, I have one more thing to say. <laughs> what I say that's super gross and that I have done, and I have let people do it to me is like the congratulations that we white people like to do to each other. Right, right. When someone posts on social media, I see this with some of my, and these are like my friends that have like huge followings on Instagram and they'll post something about Black Lives Matter. And the amount Mm -hmm. of clapping emojis that are in the comments from white people, other white people in my industry, white women, saying, saying not even just saying like, just a a thank you, I think is like. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you're so brave to talk about this. I'm so glad you're using your platform for good. Basically like sucking the dicks.
1: Up. Right. And it's like, it's are like, you going to take it. me if I posted as a black woman? Are you going to like, cause you're not, you're going to assume that because I'm a black woman, I am supposed to, or of course she's posting this, but Oh, a white woman is doing it. So yeah, don't do that again.
0: And just notice I think if you are finding the urge to do that and exactly what you just said Jessica like why would you feel the urge to do that with your white friend but not a black friend or, or a black person that you follow on it's these are the types of things we need to take pause and start thinking about
1: mm, this is
0: y- and I, everything about- and I know all this because I have done I have stepped in this shit before like this is the only reason
1: I know I'm not saying this as I better this conversation is so meaningful because like because you have done all of these things and work through them. And, and, and because I'm still working through them, I want to say like, I'm not, I'm not there yet because it's, it's a journey. And you said this to me when we were working together that I think about is, is personal development. Isn't, it is a lifelong thing. And I am sometimes going to catch myself having negative self-talk and be like, wait, stop, back up. I'm going to catch myself saying things that are like, well, that's just real ridiculous to say that right about Mm -hmm. me and my work. And, 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 this work is the same way. This race and equity work is the same. It is going to be a lifelong journey, which means you're going to sometimes take 10 steps forward and take two steps back and have to take a nap because you are tired and this is exhausting. Or you are going to have to take some multivitamins because your, your, your body is, is stressed out and communicating crazy things? You're going to have to go to a therapist. Like it's, it is a constant thing. But if we want to change systems and make systems equitable, this is the work. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, there are this population that I hope it, like hell is a small population of people who are actual literal racist, but everybody else, I think that y'all can get on the bandwagon. I'm doing this. And I'm, and no one is saying it's easy. We are saying it is hard, but we're saying that you will be much better once you start this journey in the sense of like, You will, you will show up differently for yourself and for others, because the thing about the personal development aspect of this work, the, the shame, resilience, the self talk, you will be better for yourself separate from separate from race. Just as a person, you will be better when you start to do this work and it's hard as hell. I've done it, Mm -hmm. but you are stronger, more courageous and better on the other side of it.
0: It goes back to values too, and I know we didn't get into that. I'll have to have you back on so we can talk about that. But <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm so glad that people have stuck with us as, as long as they have, and if, if they have, and maybe I should have mentioned this in the beginning. But and for people who haven't heard me talk about this before, and some people might be thinking, well, what is personal development? Oh yeah, you know what, what I do. Yeah. What does it have to do with right with anti racism work? And this is the realization that I had back in in you know after I saw that sign or all you nice white ladies going to be at the Black Lives Matter March. If I'm talking about women's empowerment, which I'm talking about all the time, which I'm, that's what I write books about, then I'm talking about feminism. Like that's just how it is. You know, the systems of oppression that women have been under for centuries um, that require women's empowerment is is all about feminism. That's why it was created. And if we're talking about feminism, we're talking about patriarchy. And if we're talking about patriarchy, we're talking about white supremacy. Yep. So there's the connection that I couldn't ignore anymore, that I couldn't pretend that didn't exist. And I couldn't just go back to business as usual. And if I am truly wanting women to be free and women to wanting to live their most kick-ass life, mm-hmm. I need to also be talking about the black women and women of color in my community. Yep. And also, you know, like the, the disabled women, the um, LGBTQ community, and it's, uh, I'm not. Doing my own work and following my own values, if I'm not at bare minimum Mm -hmm. trying to understand the lens through which they see the world and their lived experiences, because I don't have that same experience. Like, there are some parts of 52 Ways to Live a Kick Ass Life, and I'm like, oh, that was tone deaf. Mm -hmm. That was very tone deaf. Mm -hmm. And I I wish
1: I could go back and write a caveat. Like,
0: sorry, I didn't know. Right. (laughs) but this might be your experience.
1: But I think it's, it goes back to this idea of, of a journey. And, and, you know, my Angelou says it like, when you know better, you do better. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, for people that, that go back and read it and are like, damn, that was tone deaf, but they can say, but like Andrea's on a journey and she, she wouldn't say that shit now, you know, mm-hmm. that, that it's okay mm-hmm. to just be, you know, again, this like, you know, it's okay to just be real about the fact that we are on a journey and you may have said something problematic, 15 years ago but it doesn't mean we cancel you forever because you are like actively and this is you macro you not specifically you andrea but like you know you are actively doing the work and getting better and calling shit out when you see it and saying damn i fucked that up but like you know i'm not you know like you're doing the work yeah
0: yeah and that's all we can do
1: that's it i'm ready for a nap it's only I at bet, 10 20 a.m. Yeah. You d- you do need a nap, even though it's 10:20. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you so much for being
0: here and giving us your time. And you do DEI work. Yes. Can you talk to people what that is? And I know I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you no,
1: this. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I can always talk about it. So um, I have a consulting company, Sharp Brain Consulting, and I do diversity, equity, and inclusion work, among other things, with organizations. So at the core of my work, I, I do um, brain-based consulting. So everything I do is kind of with the brain in mind, and specifically in the context of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I work with organizations and obviously the people that are in those Organizations to assess their organizations and to work to move them forward to be more equitable.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, sharpbrainconsulting.com, right? That's it. Yeah. I remember
1: when I made you buy that.
0: I know.
1: Yeah. I know. I mean, I literally wouldn't have done this business had we not worked together, period. I never, ever, ever would have thought. That I, I think it. you would have. I think I, it might have just taken you a minute. It longer. would have taken me a hell of a lot longer. And you're right. You did. Cause I yelled at you and told you to do it right now. Exactly. Call me back when you did. <laughs> and it. I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I will. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Bye. <laughs> and now years later, it's oh. like a whole thing that, you know, is big and fun and, you know, sometimes hard in like the best way. And, um, so yeah, but that's, that's I'm just so excited
0: that your your phone's been blown up lately and, and this work is so needed, and people are are lucky to to have you and sharpbrainconsulting.com everyone, thank you so much for sticking with us in this longer than usual podcast yes. episode, a, a very special episode, Conversations about Shit that Matters with one unqualified person and one qualified <laughs> person. And uh, thank you everyone, for being here.. <laughs> Wait, just kidding. We're not done. We have more to tell people about. Just a little bit. You are running a program called Women's Equity and Justice Group. Am I right? Yes, you're correct. That's the name of it. This is so... This is so exciting. Okay, so people can sign up now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just while you're while you're talking about it, people can go to the link. It's yourkickasslife.com slash Jessica, and that will tell everyone what this is and who this is for. But while they're on their way over there, tell, tell everyone
1: just that. Yeah. What is this group and who is it for? Yep. So this group is for white women who want to learn more about race and equity and justice and who are ready to start changing the world. No easy task, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> if someone's going to do it, it's going to be women. That's wow. just my opinion. But is this, no, is this for someone who is just starting out like a white woman who's kind of just starting out in this and, and kind of is in that place of like, I don't know what to do.
1: Where should I start? Maybe they've read a couple books or who who is perfect for this group? Yeah. Yeah. So this first phase is one is for the woman who is like, oh shit, I've just realized that there are so many injustices in the world, but I have no idea what to start, where to read, what to say, what not to say, who to ask. I I, I know I need to do better and I know I need to help, but I have no idea where to start or what to do. And I've seen your outline
0: of the curriculum. I also think that this is could be for people who maybe have realized this for a few years now. Maybe they've read a lot of the books. Maybe they've yeah, taken yeah. another group or like an online kind of program where they've walked themselves through this. I think it even might be for people who are seasoned
1: in this work, don't you think? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I think what's really unique about this program is that we're going to focus on the personal as much as the the history, the work, the racial justice work. We're going to get into your shit a little bit, which is really critical if you're going to actually do anti-racism work. And so if you have done some research and readings, but you haven't really done the internal work, then yes, absolutely sign up for this because that work is critical if you're going to do racial justice work long term.
0: So it's yourkickasslife.com slash Jessica. And that is my specific affiliate link. And if you sign up with that link, everybody, there's a bonus and you can read about it on that page. It's a digital copy of my program, Kick your gremlin's ass, which is very tongue in cheek. It's all about self-compassion and (laughs) how to manage your inner critic. And I'm so glad that you're doing this because I've been telling you like there is an audience for this and I I just know that you're the woman to do it. So (laughs) people have until August 7th to sign up. Yep, they do. So is this like are people on Zoom calls? Do they get live interaction with you? Is there a Facebook group?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So I'll give some of the high level details. There's absolutely a Facebook group. They get Zoom teachings with me, but then they also get access to me directly as well. So it's both going to be a little bit of just kind of content education via Zoom. That's going to be just recorded links. And then you also will get access to me and you get access to the other women in the group via the Facebook group. So it's a little bit of like
0: a sister circle. Like let's talk about this stuff that are, very hard conversations with you as the guide, who's a trained DEI person. And I exactly. have just one more thing I want to say, because I, I think that if, if anybody has questions, if they are not sure if this group is for them, like if they're like, would this be helpful if I don't know how to talk to my racist uncle at Thanksgiving? Like they can just email you, right? And you can let them know if this is a good fit for them. Okay. And that information,
1: 1, that information's on that page how to contact you all on that page. I'm easy to find Jessica at sharpbrainconsulting.com. Yep. And yourkickasslife.com
0: slash Jessica for all the info. I'm so excited uh, for the people who are going to be joining you. And this work is so important. Thank you again, everyone. And really, really now this is the end. Have a great, have a great day, everybody.